We've had a great day already. I had a chance to uh, do an Old Testament survey uh, class with uh, some of the uh, young people who are in ministry here at Cornerstone, and that was just a great time together. And Looking forward to being with you folks tonight. Just one other shameless personal um, advertisement. Um, I talked Pastor George in because I don't have enough Bible studies to do for one more Bible study. So uh, when we get into the new building, instead of doing one small church on Sunday morning, I'm going to be teaching two small churches now on Sunday morning. And I'm going to be starting, if we're in there on March 25th, an eight-week study at 10 o'clock on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we have a lot of people in Cornerstone who are very interested in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind. That'll be during the 10 o'clock hour, so if you wanted to come to either the 8.30 service or the 11.30 service, whatever, but uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, um, we'd love to have you in there, and we'll let you know what room that'll be in and all that out there, all right? So that'll be on Sundays, and it'll be for eight weeks, and then we'll switch and do something else. All right, enough about that stuff. We are so glad that Seth is back with us, and keep praying for that collarbone and everything. Seth's going to be leading worship on Sunday here at the church, so to warm up for that, he's going to warm us up tonight, and he's going to come, and let's praise the Lord together. Let's stand, shall we? Wow, it's good to have you folks here, and we do just want to continue on with uh, being in the spirit of worship and praise that Seth has set the tone for tonight. We just want God to take over here tonight, and I want to share, I want to share with you uh, the truth that's, that's going to allow you to leave here tonight different than when you walked in in a more positive way and to be encouraged. That's what it's all about. Uh, You're taking your time to be here. We want to get into the Word and we want to see it and and allow God to just speak to our hearts and just to work in our lives. For those of you that are new, this is maybe your first time here. Uh, I never teach the Bible for information. I teach it for transformation. We want to use... The Word of God to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. It's the maturity factor. Uh, Not just learning more about God and about the Bible, but allowing that Word to take us and to change our hearts and to change our minds and to make us more like Jesus. And that's what we want to do tonight. So let's begin by opening up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I want to begin tonight just to go back a little bit to verse 22 and pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 10 tonight because the chapter divisions are not inspired by God. (laughs) They were put there by men to try to help us organize the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with the chapter and verse divisions. It's just that a lot of times those chapter divisions can be sort of an odd stopping point, if you will. And I sort of feel that way with... uh, The way even we stopped last week at the end of verse 25, and we need to flow down then through verses 26, down through the end of the chapter, and then move into chapter 11. But, here's where we sort of left off last week, and where we will pick it up this week. Remember, this book is written to first century Jews, why it's called Hebrews, who have embraced Christ to a point. They heard about this new thing called the church. They have left Old Testament Judaism and the sacrificial system. And they're being taught that the Messiah has sacrificed Himself once and for all, for all sin, for all time. 
And there's no need for these multiple sacrifices of animals anymore that Jesus Christ is now the sacrifice. And so look to Him. Look to Him for healing, for forgiveness. Look to Him. He is the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. But as they made that transition, they began to find out how hard it was. They, they were under persecution. Uh, they were ostracized by family and friends. Uh, they, they went through a tremendous amount of suffering and trial and all of that. And as time wore on, they began to wear down. And so one of the main reasons why the book of Hebrews is written is it's a book of encouragement to encourage all of us as Christians down through the years that when we find ourselves in times of prolonged trial and suffering and tribulation and crisis and persecution and all that, what to do, how to navigate that. And of course, the whole thing is, let's look to Christ ultimately. And in verse 22 of chapter 10, he says, because we have Jesus Christ as our great high priest over the house of God, which was what the theme of chapters 7, 8, and 9 were all about, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the assurance that faith brings. The whole reason why God sent Jesus Christ to this earth was so that we could draw near to Him. So that we could have a close relationship with Him and walk with Him every day. And that's, that's the key. Drawing near to God. God wants you and I to draw near to Him. And so even as these folks were going through a very difficult time, sometimes the reaction is we pull away from God when we go through tough times. And God is reminding us here, that's the very opposite of what we should do. Instead of pulling away and isolating ourselves from God and God's people, let's continue to draw near to Him and pursue Him and go after Him. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And God wants us to draw near to him. And then last week we also saw verse 23, keep trusting in him. In spite of what you're going through, don't look at your circumstances, look at God. And acknowledge that his promises are faithful because as verse 23 says, he's trustworthy. You can put your hope, your faith, your confidence, your trust in him because he will not disappoint you. His promises will always be fulfilled. And so keep trusting in Him. Keep trusting. Don't look at your circumstances. Draw near to Him and keep trusting in Him. And then, as we get that vertical relationship between us and God going in the right direction, as we're drawing near, that's the first step, and trusting in Him then God frees us up to really then be an encouragement to others. It goes back to exactly what Pastor Ron was teaching Sunday about being a restorer. As I grow and as I mature and as I experience God's grace in my life and all these wonderful things, then God can bring people into my path whom I can restore and encourage and whatever. And that's the purpose of the church. And two of the great verses for the church and an encouragement to be part of church is verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews 10. Let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works. It takes thought. We need to consider it. We need to be intentional. We need to be strategic. And that presupposes that we're building relationships with people. 
Because as we build relationships with people, then we know what truly we could come alongside in their life and do to encourage them. Because certain people are going to be motivated and encouraged by different things. Not everybody is motivated the same way. Not everybody is encouraged the same way. Not everybody even expresses love the same way or receives love the same way. One of the great books out there, especially for uh, married couples, is the, the Love Language book. Every, every person has a love language. And, and that's what it's saying here. Get to know that person so that you know how best to encourage them and to spur them on to greater heights with Jesus Christ. That's what the church is all about. Notice verse 25, not abandoning our own meetings. That word was used of a soldier that would leave the battlefield and let his other fellow soldiers fight without him. God says, don't be that kind of a Christian. When you and I pull away from each other, we're, we're abandoning each other on the battlefield. Because we're, we're on the battlefield together. Whether, whether we know it or not, we're in a battle. We're in a struggle. We're in a, a fight, if you will, with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the Bible says that by not coming together and pursuing each other and pursuing the community of God's people and taking every opportunity we can to encourage each other, we're abandoning each other. So he says, seriously encourage each other rather than abandoning each other, as some are in the habit of doing, and even more so because you see the day drawing near. And I think the day he's referring to there is the day that Jesus is coming back. And the Bible says because of that, times are not going to get better, they're actually going to get worse. 2 Timothy 3.1 In the last days, difficult, perilous times will come. More violence. More this. More that. And the world in which we live is going to be more difficult to navigate. All the more reason why Christians need to draw near to God, first of all. Be re-energized and refilled and restored and refreshed in our relationship with God. And then be empowered to go out and to encourage our fellow believers in Christ. Because we're in a struggle. We're in a battle. We need to encourage each other. Now... With that said, I want you to keep your finger there before we start trekking into verse 26. I want you to go back to the Old Testament book of Daniel, to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel, one of the great prophecies of the Bible. In fact, I'm thinking about doing a study in the book of Daniel sometime as well. It's a great book. And Daniel chapter 12. I just want you to look at one verse tonight because this verse talks about, again, sort of conditions before Jesus comes back. And, and what's cool is back in, say, the 1800s, when you read people writing about this verse and stuff, they were saying how, yeah, boy, the speed of everything is speeding up. And boy, knowledge is just growing so much. And they were writing that back in the 1800s. When we look at this verse, we're going, wow. Because notice one of the characteristics, or actually two characteristics of the last days. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, God has given Daniel this great sweeping prophecy of the end times and all that's going to take place. But here's what God says to Daniel. But you, Daniel, close up these words and seal the book until the time of the end. Now's not the time to reveal all of this. And here it is. Many will dash about and knowledge will increase. In other words, as we get closer to the return of Christ, everybody is going to be speeding around like 
a chicken with their head cut off, as my parents used to say, just rushing, dashing, got to do this, got to do Everything is going to keep speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, dashing about here and there, and knowledge is going to increase. I mean, not just additionally, but in a sense exponentially. It's just, it's just going to go off the charts. Now, the reason I brought you to this passage, if you go back to Hebrews, is because of this whole idea of knowledge increasing. Because I hope that we would all agree in this room tonight that though we probably live in a time in history where we probably have more knowledge about stuff than we've ever had before, it doesn't really seem to translate into our culture, and I'm not just talking about America, I'm just talking about the world in general, being more moral, more righteous, more God-fearing, however you want to say it. So, you got all this knowledge over here, but the knowledge isn't translating into a closer walk with God, a relationship with God, treating people right, uh, being moral, uh, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't translate. Because knowledge alone, if it's just left there, doesn't do anything. In fact, as I've shared with you before, sometimes all knowledge of the Bible does is make us more intelligent sinners, not more godly. So we've got to be careful. As I've shared before, you know, there are people that I know that know every beast in the book of Revelation and they act like it too. So knowledge alone doesn't make one spiritual. Alright? With that said, then, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Because here was the problem. In this passage, verses 26 through 31... Basically, and there's a lot we could go off on tonight, but basically what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. You've got to understand that when God gives you knowledge, don't abuse that knowledge. And that with greater light that God gives you comes greater responsibility. Therefore, instead of using your, your position and, and, and access to God and somehow turning that around at some point, or using the knowledge of God in some kind of warped way, or turning your back on the full knowledge of God that you have been given, and going another way, you realize that He's saying to them, you're putting yourself in a bad spot. Because for instance, in this context, if you choose, because of the pressure, to turn your back on Christ, and on His sacrifice, and on his church, and you go back to Old Testament Judaism, and you begin to do the whole Old Testament sacrificial system because it's easier for you, where does that leave you? Because it may be easier in one way, but ultimately, that's not the thing that you really want to be doing. That's not the answer. Because in those Old Testament sacrifices, that's not where the, that pointed to the ones that, but the answer isn't, and we talked about that in the last couple of weeks. That's why even though the Jews wouldn't listen, finally God in 70 A.D. said, okay, you want to continue to sacrifice? I'm going to allow the Romans and Emperor Titus to come into Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and I'm going to have him totally level the temple. And from 70 A.D. till the present day, the Jewish people have not been sacrificing anymore. Because God says, if you're not going to do it on your own, if you're not going to do it voluntarily by giving up those sacrifices and embrace Jesus Christ, then I'll bring someone in who will. And that's why Jesus told His disciples before He ascended, 
There's coming a day, and it's coming very soon, where you're not going to see one of these stones of this temple left upon another. And that's exactly what happened. Titus came in in 70 AD, and the whole Roman army totally leveled the city of Jerusalem and leveled the temple completely. There was not one stone left. The prophecy was fulfilled just like Jesus said, because His Word is trustworthy. You can trust Him. What He says is going to happen. Some say, well, Pastor Jeff, what about, I see all these pictures of of these uh, Jews over there in Jerusalem who are standing by the wailing wall. Doesn't that mean that the stones, because there's still that wall there, the wailing wall, what you see on television, that was not part of the temple. That was a retaining wall that went around the temple. The temple itself, what Jesus talked about, was totally leveled and destroyed, just as He said. When you see those people at the wailing wall, that was a retaining wall that was put around the perimeter of the temple. And there was a little bit of that that was still standing after 70 A.D. So all this knowledge, so that's why then beginning in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, if we deliberately, and that's a key word, that means, that means with our eyes open, it wasn't like it was a sin of ignorance, it wasn't like I didn't know any better. He's saying to these people, you have knowledge, you know better. As my parents used to say to me when I got in trouble, you knew better. You know, you knew sticking your hand in the cookie jar before supper was wrong. You knew that. Okay, you caught me up there. <laughs> deliberately. But I still won the cookie. I still won it. If we deliberately, and then notice here, keep on sinning. It's habit. It's not, oh, I blew it once. Oh, I, I, you know, I know I shouldn't have done that. I blew it. I made a mistake. No, no, no. He's talking here about deliberate, willful, in-your-face God, habitual sinning. I mean, it just keeps on, keeps on, keeps on after receiving the knowledge of the truth. They know. They have all this knowledge. But they're not using the knowledge that they have been given through their exposure at church to make them more like Christ, to make them more godly, to mature them. And as Ron said, saddle up on that horse and let Jesus Christ take you up to that castle up on the hill. No, they have taken that knowledge and they've twisted it. And instead of using this knowledge to draw near to God and to encourage God's people, they are now using this knowledge in a sense, thumbing their nose in the face of God and saying, God, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And the writer of Hebrews is warning them here. Saying no more sacrifice for sins remains. If you're going to turn your back on Jesus Christ and what He did, and you're going to go back to the Old Testament sacrifices, you realize those can't save you. No more sacrifice. If you're going to reject the only way of salvation, then there is no other way. There's no second option. It's not like let's make a deal and Monty Hall comes out and goes, do you want door number one, number two, or number three? There's no it's It's Jesus Christ alone. That's it. So if you turn your back on Him, there's nothing else for you. Keep your finger there. I want to show you this. Go back to the uh, Gospel of John. This happened even in Jesus' time while Jesus was here. And John, and I, I, you know, I don't think there's a coincidence here, but the reference is John 6, 6, 6. You can remember that, can't you? And in John 6, 6, 6, here's the verse. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 66. After this, Jesus had just gotten through saying some tough things. 
some things that people should have wanted to hear, but they didn't want to hear, so they just said, you know what, nah, I, I, can't, I can't buy that anymore. So he says here, after this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. And that phrase means once and for all. It wasn't like they just left Jesus for a month or two and then they come back later on. It was a full and final, I'm not following this guy anymore. I just, I, I'm not going to do it. So notice Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away too, do you? I love Peter's answer. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. If we choose not to follow you anymore, who are we going to follow? Who has the words of eternal life but you? Who can forgive our sins but you? Who has the answer to life's deepest questions but you? Who can give us the power to live life like you? There is no other answer but Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the message of this church. That's the message of the Bible. There is no other answer but Jesus. So if I turn my back on Jesus and try to go find that answer in something else or someone else, I'm not going to find it. I'll spend the rest of my life trying to find that answer. We have come to believe and to know that You are the Holy One of God. Wow. And then Jesus goes on and said, yeah, but there's one of you that's going to betray me. There's one of you that has allowed the devil a foothold in his life. His name is Judas Iscariot. And he's going to betray me. And here's the deal. Judas had this special privilege, like the other eleven, of walking with Jesus on earth for three years. And yet he did not take the knowledge and all that he experienced to draw him nearer to God. He took that knowledge and it actually pushed him away from God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is beginning to say in Hebrews chapter 10. He's just saying, be careful, folks. Because the greater light that God gives you, the greater than the responsibility we have to use it and to use it for good and to use it right. And all of us here tonight, could we could start rattling off example after example, even in the world, since we've been alive, of people who've had special privilege and position, whatever, and they've misused it. Whether it was somebody high up in our government in the Pentagon or something, and they had access to five security levels. They knew the deepest secrets of our military, and they sold out our military and our country as a spy to some foreign government. They took this knowledge, and, and instead of using it for good, they took that position and that knowledge, and they used it for evil. God said, be careful of that. That's what He's warning us about in Hebrews chapter 10, because if you go over to uh, the Gospel of John. I want you to go there with me for just a moment. Look at John chapter 18. I'm sorry, I'm going on the fly here, so my memory might... Uh... Yeah, John 18. Phew, good. Thank you, God. In John chapter 18, look at the first couple of verses. They're getting ready to arrest Jesus. When He had said these things, Jesus went out with His disciples across the Kidron Valley. There was an orchard there, and he and his disciples went into it. Now notice verse 2. Judas, the one who betrayed him, knew the place too, because Jesus had met there many times with his disciples. So Judas knew where to find Jesus. To betray him. To give him that kiss. And to throw him over to the authorities. Again, 
using his intimate knowledge of walking with Jesus for three, he knew exactly what orchard, where Jesus would be that night. And so he took that knowledge and he used it for evil rather than for good. Now, hang in there with me. Go over to the next chapter, chapter 19. Notice because of that, Jesus here is replying back and forth to Pilate. They're bantering back and forth a little bit. Jesus, in verse 11 of John 19, reminds Pilate that you have no authority over me unless it was given to you, because you're not taking my life from me. As the Son of God, I'm willingly laying it down for my sheep. But notice this. Therefore, the end of verse 11, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of what? Greater sin. Why? Because he had greater light, greater knowledge. So, in God's economy, Judas is held more accountable than even Pilate. Why? Because of the very thing we've just talked about here. And the very thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews 10, 26 through the rest of that passage. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, he says, How much greater punishment do you think that person deserves who is contempt for the Son of God? and profanes the blood of the covenant. In other words, says, eh, Jesus' blood is like anybody else's blood. There's nothing special about Jesus' blood. And again, we're not talking about somebody who's ignorant, somebody who, say, in our modern, they never came to church, they never opened up their Bible, nothing. Remember, we're going back to the context here of somebody who knew, 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 and yet did it anyway. And insults, he says, the Spirit of grace. Guess what? They're going to be worse off. They're going to be held more accountable because they've been given greater life. That's why I tell people, some people get this warped idea when they read the Bible, that somehow when they read the Bible, they get the idea that, well, God seems like He was really hard on people in the Old Testament, and it's sort of easy on people in the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament was law, the New Testament is grace, and all this. I remind people, don't look at it that way. We are held more accountable in the New Testament than they are in the Old Testament. Because we've been given greater light. We have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit that they didn't have in the Old Testament. We have the completed Bible, Genesis to Revelation. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. They just had the Old Testament Scriptures. We have both. We have the church as a resource. We have, you go to Christian bookstores, there's tapes and books and Bibles coming out our ears and eyes. I mean, we live in a world today that has more Christian resources to help us navigate the Christian life than at any other time in history. And that's great. Super. Let's celebrate it, but let's also remember with all these great things and blessings also comes responsibility. Yes. 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 If God has created this scenario basically so that Jesus can be sacrificed and if he knows all things then these people who are doing these things there had to be a Judas if it wasn't Judas it would have been somebody else because to accomplish the goal of of Christ being sacrificed it had to be somebody right so did they really have any free will to not be that somebody if God already set up the panorama of things having to go that's a great question and the Answer is yes. They always had a free will. The, the easiest answer I can give you, and I could give you a longer answer, is remember, God knows all things ahead of time. So He can write down what's going to happen, and that doesn't violate 
that person's free will. They still had a choice in the matter. Um, but the reason why God knows all these things is because he knows that they're going to happen ahead of time. And you're right, if it wouldn't have been Judas, it would have been somebody else. But the fact that Judas is responsible before God because he made the choice to go that direction. And when he made the choice to go that direction, obviously that fell into what God knew was going to happen. I mean, that's the best way I can answer it. You know, yes. To continue on the theme for a minute, if, if Judas was the one... I mean, he was traveling along for those three years, from everything I've heard, pretty happy and content as a little disciple along with everybody else. Was there a turning point or a specific instance that is recorded where he actually sort of turned over? Not a specific instance, and I can't remember where it's found, so I apologize for that. I don't have the reference with me, but one of the Gospels tells us that remember, Judas was responsible for sort of the money. He was like the treasurer of the group. And at some point in that three-year period, he began to pilfer the funds from the treasury box. And that's why when like Jesus, like they would do something and they would do it for free, and Jesus would do, Judas was like, I'm doing this for free? Are you getting money out of this? And he was always looking at things from a material standpoint. Never from a spiritual standpoint, but from a material standpoint. So it, you know, again, at what point, and then, again, this is, this is how it works. You begin, and I'm talking about you, all of us, we begin to open up our lives a little bit to Satan and a little bit to that, and we allow him a foothold in, and guess what? Then he starts to come in a little bit more and a little bit more. And eventually, what, whatever we allow into our lives that, that is destructive can begin to take on a life of its own and begin to paralyze our lives after a while only because we opened up the door just a little bit. And so his responsibility, back to your point, was he opened up the door. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you've allowed Satan to come into your life. And you, you opened up that door. And when you opened up that door, you just allowed him to come in and just totally take over and then get you to the point where you were willing to betray the very Son of God. The God that you knew had not done anything wrong. But you just did not want to see things. You took, again, all that knowledge. all the. I mean, you think about all the miracles Judas saw all the things that Judas experienced, and yet again, instead of taking that knowledge and drawing him closer in his relationship to God, that knowledge did nothing for him. And that's why I tell people, that's, that's why, I, and I've shared this before in the mind, this, this Bible study and hopefully no Bible study and no Sunday should ever be something where I'm coming to church and I'm just getting more information and God's not, and I'm not allowing God to change me through His Word, because the more we listen to the Word of God and don't allow it to change us, then we can become the kind of, of folks who come to a church or any church and they sit there week after week, year after year, month after month, and nothing ever changes. And you go, man, they've been coming to church for 15, 20 years, and they, but they seem to be acting the same way they did 20 years. As I shared with you before, I, I shared this with uh, the young people today. I said... I think I told you the story about the uh, principal who passed over the teacher with 25 years of experience to promote the teacher with 10 years of experience. And the teacher with 25 years of experience came back and said, whoa, 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 I got 15 more years of experience than this teacher with 10 years experience. And the principal corrected and said, no, no, no. You don't have 25 years of experience. You have one year of experience repeated 25 times. And that's the way it is with a lot of folks. That's... That's why we've got to be careful. We want the knowledge of God and the truth of God and the Bible of God to be fuel. 
fuel for our worship, fuel for our service, fuel for our involvement, fuel for our encouragement. We, we want it to be fuel. We don't want it to just be that wood that just burns up and really doesn't do anything for us. We want this to take us somewhere. Just like Ron again was saying, we want that to make us one with that horse, Jesus Christ, that's going to take us up that hill and keep us as one with Him. That's what we want the knowledge to do. Yeah, good stuff. If you go back then to Hebrews, notice another thing that we need to do. We need to recall the past. We don't live in the past. We do not live in the past. But we need to call upon the past as an encouragement for the present. And here's why. Because if you've been walking with God any length of time, you can point to times in your life where at this, in this perspective, looking back, you say, wow, I, I knew God was there with me and God protected me here and God brought me through that. And, God, and you use those times as standing stones, in a sense, as memorials, as reminders that if God brought me through that, then God can bring me through this. If God was faithful here, how comes I'm not trusting Him to be just as faithful here? And that's exactly then what the writer of Hebrews says, beginning in verse 32. He says to these folks, remember, who they're wavering, they're ready to throw in the towel and give up. He says, remember the former days when you first started to embrace Christ. When you left Old Testament Judaism, you endured a harsh conflict of suffering after you were enlightened. At times you were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions, and at other times you came to share with others who were treated in that way. For in fact, you shared the sufferings of those in prison, and you accepted the confiscation of your belongings with joy. In other words, they lived life like we should, with an open hand. God wants me to have it? Great. God doesn't? Great. But I'm not going to live my life like this, clinging to everything. I'm going to live it like this. As we sing in one of our courses, Blessed be the Lord. He gives, He takes away. Lord, I'm going to live my life with a... And, and the writer, there was a time in your life before now when you first started in this whole thing with Christ where you were living like that. God wanted me to have it great if He didn't because it's all God's. It all comes from Him. I'm just going to live my life with an open hand. Just go back to that. Recall that. Because you knew... Here again, but use the knowledge in a proper way. You knew that you certainly had a better and lasting possession. You weren't focused on the temporary stuff. You weren't focused at that point on the earthly stuff. You were totally focused on the eternal stuff, on the heavenly stuff, on the stuff that really mattered. The eternal stuff. But somewhere along the line, like we've talked about, something happened. And now all of a sudden, though it's been later down the road, now all of a sudden they're starting to live their life like this. And they want to be in control of everything. And they... they Instead of living like they used to when they first got started, now all of a sudden they're living for the moment. And they're living for the here and now. And they're, they're throwing themselves into the, the temporal, earthly things that really aren't going to last and don't matter. Instead of looking at they've gotten their eyes. They, they've totally lost their perspective. I love you. Go over to chapter 11. Again, we're going to get to chapter 11 when we come in off the break in the new building. I love this verse. Verse 10 of chapter 11 says, the reason these fellows were living in tents, Abraham and his descendants, is because Abraham was looking forward to the city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't going to wrap it. He, so he lived in a tent. This earth wasn't all there was. There was a city coming. A heavenly city. 
firm and secure. He wasn't, he wasn't going to get all wrapped up in all this earthly stuff. He was going to keep looking ahead. See, these folks had forgotten that. They had once been there, and that's the, that's the sad thing. At one time, they were there, and somewhere along the line, they got twisted around. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, recall that. Remember that. And again, all of us, I could tell you testimony after testimony in my life, the times that God saved me, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There was a time about, Lisa, how many years ago were we in that accident? 15, 16, 17. We were in an accident that all the EMTs said we pulled dead bodies out of less wreckage than what our car was in. Literally a truck sheared off the front end of our car. Missed me, you know, would have crushed me instantly and, and killed me by like an inch or two. Oh yeah, that was just a, just a coincidence. No. God's angels were probably limping away at that point, but <laughs> I was okay. And, and you look back on those instances in your life and you just know God was there. God showed up. And, and so he's saying, if you knew God showed up back there, then you need to draw on that same confidence and faith now. And don't throw that away. I love what he goes on to say then in verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. How many Christians... They had a confidence in God earlier on in their life. I mean, they trusted God for everything. They could have lived out of a tent. It didn't matter. God's going to take care of it. I just trust God. I mean, I'm just, I'm there, God. I'm with you. And then we move along in life and all of a sudden, then we become somehow more tied to this and more tied to that and we begin to lose confidence. We begin to forget He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And notice he says, if you don't throw away your confidence, it has great reward. The reason it has great reward is because it can keep us from a lot of unnecessary anxiety and care and worry and fret and all that. If we would just put our confidence in God, oh my goodness. And that's why Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples saying, why are you worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and all that? Look at the birds. Does my father not take care of the birds? Look at those flowers. You, you couldn't improve upon the beauty of those flowers. I, I take care of them. And if I take care of flowers that are here one day and gone the next, and I take care of birds, are you not worth more than they are? Will I not take care of you? So God is saying, putting your confidence in me is actually for your own benefit. You'll probably live longer. Because you won't be you know, all stressed out all the time. Don't throw away your confidence. And notice verse 36. For you need endurance in order to do God's will and receive what is promised. That's the key. That's what the rest of this book now is going to be about. So keep that in mind when we come back. We're going to be talking a lot about endurance and how to have endurance in the Christian life. And let me tell you something exciting about endurance. When the Bible says we need endurance, it's not talking about a grim resignation. Grinning and barren type of thing. That's not what it means to Yeah, I'm just enduring. I'm just I'm just, I'm enduring. I'm in that's not what the word means. That's not the way God wants us to live our life. The word endurance here is a positive, joyful hope. Well, how can I be going through something like they were and be asked to endure with this positive, joyful hope rather than this grim resignation? Because I'm putting my confidence and trust in God. And I know God's got my back. 
And we've already talked about all the encouragement in this book that Jesus Christ is praying for me, that He never leaves me nor forsakes me. I mean, promise after promise after promise is in this book to say, you can trust Him. He'll take care of you. He'll see you through. He'll never let anything come into your life that's going to overwhelm you to totally defeat you. And if He allows something into your life and my life, it's going to be to strengthen us, not to discourage us, not to defeat us, but to make us stronger. And when we cling to that truth and to that confidence and stuff, that's how we can endure. That even when we're going through some yuck in our life, we know God's still in control. Amen? He's still on the throne. God has never left the throne. Okay? He's still, even, and, and listen, there's going to be times maybe even in our life, we look around, you know, you think of things like 9-11 and stuff, and you, you say, did God, is He on the throne anymore? Is He in control? Yes. Because He doesn't want us to look at what we see to determine whether He's on the throne. He just wants us to trust that He's on the throne in spite of what we're going to see. And sometimes in this world, we're going to see things that we go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But we've got to say, but God is on the throne. My parents lost two children. Four and three. My brother and sister died before I was born. I shared that with some of you back when I spoke a couple months ago. One of the reasons I believe why my faith is so strong is because my parents, after losing two children, said, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. I'm not going to allow this to make me bitter. I'm going to allow what God has done to make me stronger and to draw closer to Him. That's huge. That that's, can go either way. And so, that endurance is just so very, very important. Because he goes on to say, just a little longer. <laughs> and he who is coming will arrive and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I take no pleasure in him. But we are not among those who shrink back and thus perish, but are among those who have faith and preserve our souls. I just want to take you to a passage and I'm going to stop for a few moments for any comments or questions. Go back to the book of 2 Corinthians and I want to look at verse 17 and 18. These are two good verses to sum up what we've talked about tonight. They would have been good verses to tell the Hebrews. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4. I'm sorry. You can't read my mind? Come on. That's okay. 17 and 18. Here's what Paul says. For our momentary light Suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, I know most of us have went through tough times ago. I'm sorry, it's not light. <laughs> what, I, what I went through was no light suffering. But remember something here in the context. He's comparing whatever we go through here on earth with eternity and glory. And he says, I'm sorry, I don't care if you suffered for 30 years with something. You're going to spend eternity in glory. So when you begin to weigh that out, 30 years of suffering, eternity in glory, all of a sudden the 30 years of suffering starts becoming pretty light compared to the eternal weight of glory. Because folks, a billion years from now, we're still going to be praising God in heaven. And that 30 years of suffering that seemed so huge is going to all of a sudden fade into eternity at some point. Why? Verse 18. Because we don't look when we go through life, at least we shouldn't as a Christian, at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, 
But what cannot be seen is eternal. See, God doesn't want me taking my cue and navigating through life based upon what I see. He wants me as a Christian to live by faith. To trust Him and His Word and to walk by faith, not by sight. So that when the world looks like, oh my goodness, God isn't on the throne. But my Bible says He never abdicates the throne. He's still on the throne. I'm trusting what I can't see, not what I'm seeing. Now I realize that's a process. It's a process Pastor Ron talked about Sunday called passionate maturity. We don't just arrive at that point. We have to get to that point. And then we have to keep moving forward because like these folks in the book of Hebrews, we could have attained a certain standing and then all of a sudden started drifting back. And at some point in our life, actually been at a worse place than we were over here because we weren't continuing to use the knowledge that God gave us to draw us closer to Him, but somehow we got twisted around and now we're drifting They've looked me straight in the face. They've said, Pastor Jeff, I know Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. I know if I reject Jesus Christ, I'm going to die and go to hell. I don't want Him. Now, I'm not saying later on that their heart couldn't change, but I'm just saying at that point, they had. it wasn't like, no, I'm just not convinced Jesus Christ is the Savior. I'm telling you, they had full knowledge. But they didn't. They, they got to that point, but they didn't, they didn't want it. And there are people like that. And then, there is the possibility that In this passage, he's also saying, again, and warning us as believers, don't let that knowledge just sit there. Remember, the greater knowledge you have and the more that you gain, the more you're responsible for. And God will judge us, in a sense, in that way more severely. He'll discipline us, just like David. Okay? David is in heaven. Okay? I'm going to see King David one day. David was one of the great heroes of the Old Testament. But when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, guess what? He paid a little bit higher price than somebody that didn't know God did. Want to know why? Because he knew God. And he had a relationship with God. And God held David more accountable. And that's why David suffered the way he did. That's why God did not allow David to build the temple, but allowed his son Solomon to build the temple. David had some consequences there because of that. So we're going to wrestle with that. Well, I think in that context, though, he's not talking about there's no more forgiveness. He's saying there's no more sacrifice. If you would turn your back on the sacrifice of Christ, what other sacrifice for sin is there besides Christ? But I do think that there's consequences for forgiven sin, even for Christians. Yeah, and in God's grace and mercy, the Bible teaches us he doesn't deal with our sins as he could. He's merciful. He's forgiving and all of that. But there are times where even though God has forgiven me, maybe the person I've offended has forgiven me, I'm still maybe going to have to suffer the consequences for it. Still struggles. Yep, still struggles. But he, he doesn't presume upon the grace of God. And there's the difference. I, I'm going to struggle as a Christian, and we're going to battle sin until the day we die and see Jesus. But there's a difference between dealing with it that way and, and truly wanting to please God, and yet we're still struggling because we're human and we have this body that we've got to deal with and this flesh and somebody high-handedly like the book of Hebrews is talking about, who deliberately and willfully and in your face says, God, I, I know that this is wrong. I'm just going to do it anyway. And I'm going to keep on doing it. There's a, there's a difference in attitude there. Different total attitude there. Yes? I think, Pastor um, Jeff, you were really hitting the nail on the head when you said it's, it's the knowledge. See, I think if, if God was trying to say, 
once you received Christ into your heart and then you kept sinning, he would have said it. But he's just saying, you, it's just the knowledge piece. He's not saying you actually received Christ into your heart and then you keep sinning. Right. So I, I, I really I really believe that he's he's talking to people that haven't received Christ into their heart. But they're just looking at the knowledge. The knowledge. And that's where I, you know, again, I'm just saying, remember, knowledge increases... And we're living in a culture, Daniel 12.4, where we've got more knowledge, but knowledge is not equating into righteousness and godliness and all of that. We, be, we need to be careful about the knowledge that we gain and what we're using it for. And like I said about the spy as an example, somebody who has a position, somebody who, but they're using it in a wrong way. Good stuff. Let me just touch on Hebrews 11 just to whet your appetite. Because we got three weeks to, is it three weeks till we meet again? Man, I'm going to have to go into therapy or something for three weeks. All right. Uh, the counselor is going to need counseling. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the chapter of faith. And, and again, what a great chapter for us. The new building and stuff like that. We're going to dive into the chapter on faith. Hebrews chapter 11, one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. But I just want to read the first three verses to just give you a, a, a little bit of a taste Now, faith, and this is the function of faith. This isn't a definition of faith. This is what faith will do in our lives. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and being convinced of what we do not see. See, God says the reason I want you to have faith is because by having faith, you can be sure about things you haven't seen yet. I know there's a heaven. Have I seen heaven? No. But I know it's there. I'm sure of it. I haven't been there but I know it's there. I'm convinced of it. And again, why am I sure? Why am I convinced? Because I'm basing it on what God said. I'm trusting in what God said. I'm trusting in His Word rather than somebody else's Word for it. And this is how we commend ourselves to God. You want God, in a sense, to slap you on the back and say, well done, good and faithful servant of mine, for by it, the people of old received God's commendation. And the people today receive God's commendation. God says, that's good. You trust me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you for it. I think that's why God has blessed our church. Because the leadership and the people of this church have stepped out by faith, by faith, by faith to do what we're doing and have done and all of that. And God says, you're trusting me. You're trusting me for great things. I'm going to bless you for it. Because God commends faith. As I shared before, there's only one thing in the Gospels that Jesus Christ, while He was here on earth, ever marveled at. The Bible says wondered at. It was either the faith or lack of faith of people on earth. When, when, when somebody like a centurion would exhibit faith, Jesus said, man, I, I marvel at his faith that he trusts God so much that he would ask for something like that. But then sometimes the Jewish people that Jesus so wanted to, to you know, come to know him, they wouldn't trust him no matter what miracles and stuff that they saw. And he marveled at their unbelief. The way we commend ourselves before God is by faith. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. Again, we've got two choices. I can either believe what man and Charles Darwin and other people say how the world came into being, or I can believe what God said about how the world... I'll just say, I don't think any man was there when the world came into being. I believe God probably was there when the world came into being. I think I'll trust what God said about how the world came to be. That's faith. And God honors that faith. And here's what God says. Just to show you that I know what I'm talking about, 
you now, because I've allowed you to catch up a little bit with me in science, and, and not that the Bible is a scientific book, but anything it says about science, it's going to be accurate, because God's the one, I think, who invented all that to begin with. God says, you realize that when I created the world, I created what you see by things that you can't see. And of course, years and years ago, people used to wrestle with that. And then all of a sudden, the microscope was invented. And all of a sudden, mankind began to look at cells and stuff and these things we call molecules. And in science class, the protons, neutrons, and electrons. And all of a sudden, the things that our eye could not see we realize that this speaker is actually, though we see it, it's made up of things we can't see. And God says, I did that. I did that. See, you see that, but this thing is made up of things that's invisible that you can't see. And that shows you, that's the way I made the world. Everything that you see is made up of things that you can't see, that are invisible to you. Now, I let you in on a little bit of it. You still don't understand it all. But I let you in on a little bit of it, you know. Maybe somebody like Einstein can just scratch the surface. But let's face it, God's, God's got us beat a little bit in, in those areas. And that's why, like I've shared before, if you read my blurb on the web about uh, faith, I said, you know, the Bible said thousands of years ago, there were mountains under the oceans. And most people were like, mountains under the oceans? Come on. Then all of a sudden, man was allowed to build submarines and stuff and go into the oceans. And all of a sudden, man goes, there are mountains down there. Yeah, if we'd have just trusted what God said, we would have been more intelligent way sooner than we were if we would just listen to what God says. Because what God does choose to reveal to us is there for a purpose. And that's why I tell people, listen, faith isn't blind faith. When we talk about faith and we get into faith in a couple of weeks, it's not like Christians live by faith and it's just blind faith and we just trust God no matter what and everybody else. No, God gives us plenty of evidence to put our faith in. That's why Jesus, after He rose from the dead, bothered to hang around for 40 days showing Himself to everybody that He was alive and even telling His disciples, you want evidence that it's Me? Thomas, stick your finger here. There's the nail prints. Stick your finger there. There's where the spear went through. You want evidence? I'll give you evidence. It's not that God doesn't give us evidence. He's given us more than enough evidence in the Bible, in history, in geography, in our archaeology, in our own lives, that He's alive, He's on the throne, He's going to take care of us. Go home and have a wonderful week. Okay? All right. Okay, let's pray. I'm going to let you folks go. Thank you all. I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being so patient with us. I just have to ask you, ask God to help you remember, three weeks from now we start meeting again. Alright? Get the word out. In the new building, hopefully. We will be in that new building. And we've got the biggest room besides the sanctuary in the new building. It, it will seat probably around 200 people. So we can grow, we can be comfortable, whatever. it's going to be a wonderful, Seth's going to have his own sound system in there, we're, I'm telling you, we're moving, so hang in there with us, alright, let's thank the Lord, Father God, thank you so much for showing up again tonight, for encouraging us the way you do, Lord, just continue to use your spirit and use your word to encourage us throughout this, these days ahead and these weeks ahead, 
Father God, just I, I don't know what these folks are going through, what their uh, life is looking like, but I, I just pray that they would just look to You for their strength, for all that they need. Just keep, may they keep their confidence in You and in Your care and love for them. May they be reminded that You love them more than they will ever know. And, and Lord, just may they sense Your power and presence in their life like never before as they leave this place tonight. And just go with us, Lord. Just anoint us and just may Your Spirit just shadow us like never before. Use us, Lord, to encourage others as You encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys are terrific. I love you. Have a great couple of weeks. All right. <laughs>